Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, so glad that you're here. My name is Chris. I get to serve as the lead pastor here, and thankful that you're here. Thanks for joining us online as well, and those of you who are at home traveling wherever you may be. Uh, we have seven different deacons who serve here at the church. Doug Keesling is one of our deacons, and every month we invite one of the deacons to come forward and to lead us in prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray for Doug this month and for Doug's team the deacons have increasingly taken on more responsibility around the church, and one of the things that Doug has been doing the last couple years has been the building project, and you may be in here today going like, wait, what? There's a building project? Yes. You're going to continue to hear about that, and for those of you that have been here and you know about it, and you're like, we haven't heard anything about that. You're going to hear more about that coming up here soon, and so we're just uh, so thankful that Doug is serving in this way, so please pray for Doug, and then I'll turn it over to you, Doug, as you lead us in prayer this morning. So as Chris already said, excuse me, my name's Doug Keesling, and I, it is a privilege to serve as a deacon uh, for Family Bible Church. And, and uh, one of the things I want to let you know as attenders here, I do pray regularly for uh, this entire congregation, the, the church, the, the pastors, and specifically, um, if your last name starts with an R through S, I specifically pray for you. And... And I want to let you know if you ever have any questions or if uh, you have a prayer request, please don't hesitate reaching out to me. And, and it would be a privilege to be able to talk to you uh, if, if you are in need of anything. And So uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, Creator, you, you've created everything that we know, this earth, uh, and everything in it. You created us, each and every one of us, and uh, you didn't put us on a wall like a painter did with the painting they created. You continue to pour into us. You've, you've sent your son, Jesus, to, to show us a path to you, and, and we are just so grateful for everything that you do for us, the Bible that you give us, the word, this path that you provide to us. And we, um, we just boldly yet humbly ask that you just continue to, to pour into this church, to, to be present here, that we can feel your presence, and that you guide the, not only this congregation, but specifically our pastors, that you help them with the, the word that it, it may lead us to be closer to you. And uh, we just appreciate all the, the blessings that you give to us. And um, we also ask you to be with... We have many people that are suffering uh, physical illnesses within our congregation. We just ask you to be with them, to watch over them, and, and give them the, the healing, the care that, that only you can give. And um, Again, we just thank you for all the blessings that you give us. In your heavenly name, amen. Thanks, Doug. I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis means beginning means origin, and it is at the beginning of the scripture. It'll also be on the screen this morning. I want to say thank you to uh, Doug and the other deacons who serve, to the praise team, to our tech team, to greeters, ushers. There's so many people every Sunday morning and throughout the week that make everything happen, and it wouldn't be possible without all of everyone who volunteers. And if you're looking for a way to plug in, volunteering is a great way to do it. 
and you can be behind the scenes, in front of people, whatever it may be, uh, just let us know, and we would love to plug you in. I want to remind you again that we have a weekly that goes out by email every week, and you can also access it through our app and our website. It has all sorts of information about different areas where we are looking for volunteers. So if you're looking for a way to plug in, there's great opportunity with that. So today we begin a series called You Are Not Your Own. Let that just sit there for a moment. You are not your own. How does that sit? I mean, is that one of those things where some of you are like, oh yeah, I know that, that's great. Yep, I'm with you. Is it offensive to you? Is it troubling to you? I wondered that this week because we put the title of the message on the sign out front. I wonder how many people drove by and did not like that title or were offended by it or it offset something within them. And the reason I say that is that this is truly a countercultural idea. It's a widely unaccepted notion within modern thought. See, the assumption of modern life in 2023 in the last number of years is that I am my own person. You can't tell me that you're not my own. You can't tell me that. I belong to myself. I am responsible for forging my own identity. And I can do whatever I want as long as I'm not hurting anyone around me. And I, too, need to make decisions and think and, and process whatever it may be to forge my own identity and make my life significant. See, however we think about these thoughts, when we boil this down, this idea that I am my own, that I'm an individual, I'm shaping my own future, I, me, 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 when we boil this down, it becomes a crushing responsibility. Self-belonging and self-everything. Belonging to the right group and being that right person and saying the right thing and thinking the right thing and having the right education. It is pressure upon pressure upon pressure. And the idea is to free ourselves from the pressures of this life. To free ourselves, to, to become my authentic self. But this search can ultimately burn us out. This search can bring about a brokenness and an anxiety and a depression and a loneliness like we've not seen. And we're seeing that all around us is more and more of that depression and anxiety and brokenness. Historians have commented that we are the first, if not one of the first societies where we are looking within ourselves for meaning and purpose, that our values come from within. Societies in the past, around the world and throughout time have looked to maybe a God or a religion or civic responsibility or family duty is that I align my life with one of these things and I work toward these values. But modern life is saying I need to go within myself to discover who I am. And there's pressure upon pressure of defining that reality. You are not your own. These are words that Paul spoke. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter six, he said, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now someone said that a thought like this of what Paul had said then and then also now is like a ballistic missile hitting modern mythology and just blowing it up before us, going like, I don't know how that sits. This, this is not 
the trajectory of my life, not the plan, not the, the purpose. And as we were discussing this reality, we were talking about this this weekend, and someone said to me, well, you are your own until you're not your own. And we paused for a moment, and we said, that's true. Because when you align your life with Christ, when you say you're a follower of Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, when you've confessed your sin, you have aligned your life with Christ, therefore you're no longer your own. But if you're outside of Christ, you are your own. So it's a decision we make. It's not one of these like bridging realities of like, yeah, I'm my own, I'm not my own, back and forth. Which one is it? Are we following Jesus or not? Because the gospel offers a radically different view of being and seeing ourselves. Fears and anxieties are not mine to solve, but rather mysteries to be embraced as we belong to Jesus, to surrender. Now, throughout the years, there's been a number of different confessions of faith. In the 1500s, the Heidelberg Catechism was spoken, and there's about 52 different rhythms to this. And each one has a question and then an answer. And the very first one begins like this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The question that, we're, that was asked 500 years ago, and it's still being asked today. And the answer is this, that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that I, not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation, for my salvation, because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. So during the next six weeks, there's six different movements that we're going to be looking at. And we want to look at how we are not our own, that we've been bought at a price, that we look in here, beginning with creation, all the way to new creation, of what it means in these movements that we're not our own, that we belong to God. And as we look into Scripture, we're going to fly through Scripture in six weeks, Genesis to Revelation. If you were here a couple years ago, we took 52 weeks to walk through Scripture. We're accelerating that into six weeks. So hold on. Now, as we look into Scripture, we need to understand what it is that we look into. The Bible is 66 different writings. We call it a book, but it's 66 different writings. There's 39 in what is called the Old Testament, and there is 27 in what is called the New Testament. And the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, known as Jesus. The New Testament looks back at Jesus and moves the church forward. This is how it's broken up. And when you read Scripture, it is helpful to understand that there's all sorts of different types of genres in Scripture. So there's historical narrative. There's law, there's acts of the apostles, there's the prophetic word, there's apocalyptic word, there's wisdom and poetry, there's discourse, there's the epistles, which are letters, and there's gospels. And this is important to recognize that you're reading different elements of scripture, because if you're reading poetry, you don't want to take it as historical narrative. Or the opposite, if there's narrative, you don't want to take it as poetic. So it's helpful to understand what you're reading. Now, the scriptures are both human and divinely given. Is that God gave the scriptures through human hands. And it's ultimately the story of God 
and the story of Jesus. So when we look into Scripture, there's two different types of context that we need to consider. And I'm giving this framework because this is important for us to know. Instead of just opening Scripture and saying, this is about me. This is a story of God. So this historical context. So when you read a passage of Scripture, what is going on when the author wrote it? What is that context of the time? What prompted the author to write this? Why did he write the text? There's also literary context. Again, you can take a passage of Scripture and say, this is my life first. But if you read all the Scripture around it, you say, oh, that is not my context whatsoever. So what is the literary context? What phrases or words are repeated? What's the purpose? So you may be saying, that sounds like work, Chris. Yep, but we have this really amazing tool called Google. All right? You can say, what is the background of the Gospel of Mark? Here you go. You can research it like that. Hey, what did Mark mean when he said, there's great resources out there like no other time in history? Well, you can just type it into your phone or your computer and find some of this background to start to understand the context. Because otherwise, what we do is we take my 2023 self with my history and my thoughts and my opinions and everything, and then I read it into Scripture. And I miss the point. I ignore the author's intent with the word. So we need to be asking, what is it that the author meant? Scottish poet Andrew Lang, he said this, and he was talking about statistics when he said this. He said, I shall try not to use statistics as a drunken man uses lampposts for support rather than illumination. Does this make sense? Drunk man is there not to have the light shine on him, but rather to hold himself up. And we can say the same type of thing about Scripture. We change this a little bit. We shall not use the Bible as a drunken man uses a lamppost for support rather than illumination. So what I'm getting at is saying is like, we may go with an idea and we may say, well, here's five different scriptures that pull out a context will support whatever it is that I wanted to say. See, that's looking for support instead of illumination of what is the author's intent? What is the context around that? Now, why do I bring this up? Well, because I've been guilty of this and you have too. We read into what we want to see more often than what we simply read from the text. And maybe one of the biggest areas we do it, and maybe we're gonna find this out as we move along in these movements, is with the creation narrative. The first of six different movements in scripture. We're gonna look at creation and fall and Israel and Jesus and the church and ultimately new creation in these movements. But I invite you to turn with me, if you're not already there, to Genesis chapter one. And as I mentioned, it means origin or coming of being. And in Genesis chapter one, verse one, Many of you don't even need to look at scripture, but this is what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is what this chapter is gonna be about. This is the story of scripture unfolding in a verse. It's like the thesis right off the bat. Now, the word create is something that we can grab onto here and has been debated by people way more intelligent than I am. But the word created Quickly, as Westerners, what we think is that there's nothing in that. Here it is. And the original word does mean that, but it also means to form or to shape. Because I want you to notice something in verse 2. Verse 2 says this. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the earth is described really with five key different words. Formless, empty, dark, deep, water. All of these words in primeval thought, this, this historical early history thought pointed to chaos. Every, of those word, every one of those words pointed to chaos. Next week, we're going to jump ahead and look at the fall. But I want to note something important here. Is that before we see this, according to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the tempter, had already rebelled against God. There was chaos that was unfolding, not only in what was there physically, but in the spiritual realm. And Genesis 1 is a narrative of God bringing order where there's chaos. Consider what Dr. John Walton said. He said, ancient Israelites, as well as most near, ancient Near East people, believed something existed when it had order as part of a larger system. Ancient peoples didn't think of existence and nothingness like we do in the modern Western context. They thought of reality in terms of order and purpose and disorder and meaninglessness. In Scripture, we see that Paul says that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. So where God is active, there is order, not chaos. So when we look into a text like Genesis, do we allow the author to speak what the author is speaking? Do we read something into it? Let's first look at chaos and order. Let's see what's happening in chapter one. That God addresses this chaos that's there in these different words that he used to describe it. In day one, verse three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So darkness was there. This is chaos. God brought order by separating day and night. He brought light into the reality. On day two, it's recorded that there was this way, verse six. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made a vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Now, we heard right away that water was there, and water, again, in ancient thought, was chaotic. It was unknown. And what God did is, it's described, you think of there being water, and it's like God blew a bubble in the water and separated the water. So there's some order. It's not just chaos. There's now a separation there. Day three. Verse nine, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then it says that he, he filled it with vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees that bear fruit. And so he continues to bring order. So yeah, there was a separation between uh, water, but then there's this insert of land, and then this land is separated from water, and it gives the opportunity for there to be more order, less chaos. And we see in the, 
progressing days that there's the installation of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and fish and birds and animals, and then this special creation called human. And all along, God says it was good. You see God like, going through these days going like, yes, that was good. Less chaos, more order. Day two, less chaos, more order. Less chaos, more order. And then he gets to the end. He gets to the end there. And he says it's very good. He's pleased. But I want to give you something to wrestle with a little bit. Let me throw this out there. You don't have to agree with me. Just something to consider. Maybe what we've done so often, often in the West, in our society, is we've taken Genesis and we have read it with a modern thought, with a scientific view, with a, this is what I'm looking for in the text. And all along, we have asked a question of how the world was created. Maybe the author was asking and presenting why the world was created. There's a radical difference between how the world is created and why the world is created. It's really frustrating when you go to Genesis and you ask questions when maybe the author is not trying to answer those questions. But he's presenting Another thought of purpose, of direction, of change from chaos to order. Of purpose not only for those in the earliest of days, but for us here and now today. To continue to bring what is chaos into order. In verse 26 of chapter 1, there's purpose given. To humans. Read this. Then God said, in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the, ground, or over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. There's this narrative of there's purpose. I've created, God is saying, I've created humans for purpose. Verse 26, it says to have dominion over all animal life. Verse 28 says, have lots of kids. And it says to subdue the earth and take dominion over it. That doesn't mean to abuse the earth, to wear it out. It means to care for it. 29 says to control all plant life. I think of you. Have you ever thought of weeding as fulfilling a mandate of God? I mean, you're taking control over that overgrown area at your house a biblical mandate. Just let that be an inspiration for about the first five minutes you weed in the spring, all right? And he says, over every animal on the earth again, 
What is this? This is taking chaos to order. This is addressing a why question. What is the purpose of humans? This also points to the value of every human life. The preborn, the elderly, those on death row, your neighbor, that really annoying person that you work with or go to school with or you're sitting by. Yes, them too. They are made in God's image. There is deep value in every human being. Your work has purpose. Your calling is greater than making a dollar or making your boss happy. Your life is more than just health and wealth and happiness. As Paul said, you're not your own. You're bought at a price. I mean, God above, he, he gives us the option to do whatever we want, to live however we want, to answer that why question in whatever way it is. But when we align our life with him, it's huge calling to participate with the creator of the universe, to take what is chaotic to bring order by the Spirit's power. This is internal with us, and it's the world we walk in. We're to steward our life and steward the resources that he has given to us. Just for a moment, I want you to think about your life. We've talked about order and we've talked about chaos. Let's start with the order. Let's start with the positive side. I want you to think of areas in your life right now that are ordered. Maybe they're defined by peace or joy. They just, they're just right. They seem whole. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe it's a mind issue. What are those things where there's order in your life? Then on the flip side, what about chaos? Where is there chaos in your life? Again, maybe it's internal. Maybe it's the way you think. Maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe it's a salvation reality of wrestling through what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's work or finances or relationship around you. Where is there chaos? And chaos is so often defined by fear, anxiety, pain, maybe even apathy. Maybe something is so chaotic that you've just been like, I don't even care anymore but it's still there. See, if our call as human beings is to follow in the image of God and the mission of God, it's to bring what is chaotic into order. Because God is not a God of disorder, he's a God of peace. And he calls us to participate with him. And what we're going to see in chapter 3 next week is we're going to see Adam and Eve make a very poor choice. And they rebelled against God, and what was ordered no longer ordered. It was chaotic. And humanity throughout time has continued to pay for that choice. But that's next. But what about us? What about you? How we're going to end our time here today is I'm going to ask you to take a few moments to reflect. And I'm going to lead us through four different areas of prayer. And this is all individual, so if you were here on New Year's Day and you start to sweat, saying like, oh no, is he going to make us get in groups again and pray with people to make us really uncomfortable? No. 
You're going to pray on your own, all right? But I want you to consider this. Consider the chaos, consider the order, and consider the God who brings order into that. So I'm going to move us through four different rhythms of prayer, and you can replicate this anytime in your life. So I'm going to ask you just to ready yourself. Maybe that's physically. Maybe you have something in your lap and you're in your hands. You can set that aside. Maybe you choose to put both feet on the ground or uh, close your eyes, whatever it may be. We're going to spend the next probably six to eight minutes um, praying through these four different movements. Then the first movement and the first rhythm. Today we've considered the creation story. And we see a God who's present with Adam and Eve. God is present with you today, whether you feel it, whatever that means, or not. You to know that God is present. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to breathe. And when you inhale, that you would acknowledge God's presence. You just say, thank you, God. Something simple. And then as you exhale slowly, that you just rest. That in this rhythm, you just inhale slowly. Thank you, God. Then exhale and rest. Give you about 30 to 60 seconds just to breathe, to rest. next rhythm is thanksgiving. Every day is a gift, God. Every day is an opportunity. The psalmist said, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I'll be glad and rejoice in you. Sing praises to your name. So in this time, I'm going to ask that you would consider things that you are thankful for, that you are grateful for, including the smallest of things in your morning. Maybe it was some food or coffee. Maybe it was someone around you that you interacted with. Maybe it was a smile, a hug, a song, a certain feeling. What's been encouraging? What's been a blessing to you already in this day? And would you take 30 to 60 seconds and thank God for the gift, that order, that blessing in your life?
we've rested in the presence of God and as we've given thanks to God for the blessing of things around us, I want us to think of really the next movement, the next rhythm of where we're out of tune with God or where we've allowed or we've created chaos in our life. Maybe it was something you said. Maybe it was something that you wished you had said. Maybe it's an opportunity that you didn't take or you took. Maybe it's a way you acted or didn't act. Maybe it's an area that you need forgiveness. Then again, this possibility of healing, allowing God to start to form your heart, as the psalmist said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, don't, don't cast me from your presence. Take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit. Would you take, a, again, a 30 to 60 seconds, consider chaos in your life of areas, things that you've done, Maybe to seek forgiveness from God. What is it that God wants you to do with that chaos? You pause. we've rested, we've given thanks, we've asked for a renewal in areas of brokenness or shortcoming. Then an opportunity for us to commit. We still have many hours in this day and I ask us just to focus on this day, what's ahead of us. Just to consider and to ask God, how can you commit, collaborate with what God wants to do in and through you today. Maybe it's a situation that you just thought of, chaos that you can help bring some order in. Maybe it's a voice, a word, or whatever it may be. Be specific and ask God to open your, your ears and your heart, your mind to what he wants to do through you today. What is that commitment? Heavenly Father, creator of the universe, one who brings order from chaos both then and now. Father, as we walk carrying the image of God, may we walk in mission, 
Lord, bringing this shalom, this wholeness, this peace, this order that's from you in the spaces that we move. Father, I pray for homes and businesses and schools, courts, fields, or just different areas, God, where wholeness is brought. And Jesus, may we be the carriers of this. Father, use us this week. Direct us. Lord, remind us of who we are in your image. Jesus, we thank you that you know us, you love us, you have a plan and a purpose. Father, for each person here today that's just wrestling, God, I pray that you'd even bring some level of order into that chaos there, to that question. And Lord, I thank you that we're on a journey with you. Lord, we're walking humbly, much like a beggar, God, just thankful for what you give to us. Father, thank you that you love us, that you know us. We pray this all in Jesus' strong, powerful, and wonderful name. Amen.